Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast with Simon Cocking, Senior Editor. I'll be doing a series of interviews with people at the cutting edge of green tech, clean tech, and anything else that we think is interesting and worth listening to for you guys, our listeners. Okay, so today uh, we have somebody who has been doing a lot of interesting work in the area of island innovation. Uh, and it's been very interesting to, we've covered some of his events and also he is dealing with people and communities from all over the world. So look, first of all, uh, welcome. And who am I talking to today? Hi, Simon. Thanks. This is James Ellsmore from Island Innovation. Awesome. And um, I guess for those who haven't uh, joined in any of the virtual events recently, um, what wh what do you do and what are you advocating for? So Island Innovation started with this idea that islands all around the world have certain things in common and often uh, more in common with each other than they might with the mainland, uh, for want of a better word, that's, that's nearby. And mm -hmm. so whether it's uh, the islands of Ireland or the Caribbean or the Pacific, um, there's obvious differences between many of those places, but certain factors around either remoteness or small size, certain levels of services that, um, that, 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 that connect them. And so we set Island Innovation up really as a platform to connect what are physically very disparate places um, to together and, and and to create channels for communication between them to share good practices information and opportunities yeah uh, very much so and i've enjoyed the ones that i've taken part in um first of all i have a dumb question right um what do you define as an island because uh ireland australia could be seen as islands do you have a, a size or, or or what is an island for your terms of reference that's a great one, and I very um, uh, I, I, I made the decision not to explicitly define island because <laughs> what we do can apply to many different places. I mean, we have people who participate from remote peninsulas in Scotland, and okay. okay, they're not technically an island, but actually many of the issues of being a rural fishing community are just as relevant there. So, I mean, we do have people from other rural and remote locations uh, take part, but we also had people take part from places like Long Island, New York, which, you know, is hardly rural, well, parts of it are rural, but it's hardly remote as, you know, Brooklyn is, is is on Long Island, right? <laughs> um, so, so, you know, there's a certain amount of flexibility there. If an Australian uh, wants to claim they're an island, you know they can they can participate. I might roll my eyes a little bit, but you know they can participate. Um, and 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 I think that strength of having this kind of breadth of participants is important. So I mean, for example, we have um, several participants, and we had several speakers from Madagascar. Now Madagascar mm -hmm. is an island, but is um, about twice the size of the UK. So. Um, you know, well, the, 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 there could be a line drawn, but it will be rather artificial in, in some level. So that's my that's my cop out to your question. No, but look, I mean, I mean, personally, I think Madagascar is fascinating. I mean, the Irish travel writer, uh, Dervla Murphy, went there. I've, mm -hmm. I think it's a really interesting place. And I think your approach of being inclusive and, you know, embracing, it makes sense. I mean, you know, why leave something out when overall your goal? And again, to me, from looking at your Facebook page, your goal is to share positive and interesting examples from around the world to therefore give other island communities inspiration is, is that the thinking behind your kind of sharing of the things that you share 
Exactly, because um, someone uh, on it's, it's, someone in Aranmore is probably not reading the reading the Fiji Times, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe there is something useful that is happening in Fiji that is relevant. I mean, Aranmore is a great example. The work that happened there with um, kind of attracting uh, or, or build, building remote work opportunities was a great example that islands, you know, in the tropics across the world found interesting and relevant that was useful to learn from and so we really try and glean what's going on on in all these different places and digest that information and put it in a, in a in a usable format for other people so the whole point is to be very diverse and i always make the the, the, the silos that we're trying to break down the first is obviously distance you know the caribbean there are maybe networks the pacific there are maybe networks even the european islands um but between those regions that aren't always the second is political so how does an independent country like Barbados interact with a uh, an overseas territory like Aruba or the British Virgin Islands and um, or, or even like a municipality um, and some islands don't even have any kind of political structure so so we're trying to make sure that we involve these different groups that traditionally would maybe be um, connected on a certain level for example all the independent islands obviously have a seat at the United Nations and that is a platform for them to connect with each other um, we're broader than that. And then the third one is we make sure that we're involving examples from government, from the private sector, from uh, NGOs and from universities. So all four of the key pillars um, that, that, that make up um, innovation and contribute to sustainability. So we cast a wide net. Yeah, and, and, and I think all the better for it because it's this horizontal linkage that, 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 that you don't just look to go from local to, to politics locally, you you go sideways and you build your links and alliances with people who are doing the same stuff as you, but in different places. So uh, I think that's a smart approach. Um, we just reviewed a book about fungi, which might seem uh, not relevant, but fungi makes horizontal links and often swaps <laughs> DNA with other plants. And therefore, you know, this isn't within its own thing that it does, but it exchanges DNA with other entities. And I think you're doing that at a human level too. So it's smart and I see the value for doing it. Um, in, in 2020, uh, I've mentioned this a bit, you, you guys did virtual events. Now, uh, did, did the pandemic push you to do that or, or was that really part of how you're operating anyway based on the fact that you are pulling in people from so many different locations? Was the online forum always perhaps the optimal place for you to do what you do? Yeah, so we were doing virtual events uh, before this year, before it became so, uh, so popular. Um, mm -hmm. And so we um, did that because it was really an opportunity. Now, virtual events have their limitations, but for yeah. me, the, the type of events that we're doing where we're getting people from all these different, you know, all four corners of the world together would be very difficult, if not impossible, to do in person. Um, and especially when we're so often talking about sustainability and climate change would seem a bit disingenuous to fly hundreds of people all over the world to then talk about climate change. And so for me, um, the, 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 this change in, and, and this was a slow change that was happening before the pandemic. So people were gradually getting more used to the opportunities of, um, remote work and international collaboration using digital technology that was happening. What the pandemic did is rapidly accelerate something that was already, already there. And at some point, you know, when, when life gets, gets closer to what it was before again, um, we'll see a kind of happy medium develop, I'm sure. 
Um, but in, in, in the meantime, it, there's obviously an opportunity there. And so the point is that we used, um, we used virtual events before as a tool to do something that would not be possible in person. So a lot of people this year have been jumping onto virtual events because they've been forced to, because they don't have any other option. And what I'm hoping is that we'll see, we'll, we'll see a greater use of them as a tool. I don't think they're a replacement for physical events. I think as humans, we need physical, physical interactions, but I think they're a nice complement because you can just do something that would not be possible in terms of the diversity of people you reach through a virtual event. And I must add, that's not just geographic. You know, you can have uh, participants that are maybe a single parent that wouldn't be able to travel for whatever reason, or disabled mm -hmm. people, um, or just people who have low, um, you know, low that don't have the finance, um, the ability to travel for financial reasons. So you're getting a much broader audience than you would traditionally. And so the pandemic, what has been interesting in this virtual event space is it's completely accelerated all the technology out there. Um, in 2019, when we were planning our event, I mean, firstly, just by doing a virtual event, that was enough to be innovative. So we uh, we didn't need to we didn't need to do much more. Um, it's easy to forget. This time last year, I was explaining to people what Zoom is, how to download Zoom, and why that's uh, useful. Um, but obviously, this year the game has been raised, and that's been good for us because it's really pushed us to be more innovative and try and keep ahead of things. Um, but um you know there's obviously so many virtual events happening now it's difficult to keep up and so what we want to do is make sure that we focus on the interactions and the ability to meet people um and uh i think this technology is going to continue to evolve for the next year yeah look i i hear you and 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 like you're saying that you know at some points you're you're riding the wave and you're ahead of it and then and then you know the the rising tide to continue the water metaphors brings everyone along and then you then have to assess okay well we were innovative there and now that's par and and so very much then looking to 2021 um what what, what are you planning to do in terms of like what would be good for you guys both in terms of what kind of events are you planning and mm -hmm. uh, are you looking at like a, a blended approach um post pandemic or or, or 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 you see i mean the last event that i did with you guys was good so are you therefore assessing how it can be better and like you say how to, how to keep it cutting edge and ahead of maybe other events out there because there is a you people you're, you're competing for people's attention well exactly and now there's just so many i mean there are so many things happening it's difficult to compete for people's attention and um it's difficult to know. I mean, I don't think even in a couple of years, we're going to go back to huge international conferences very quickly. Mm -hmm. It's going to be at least another 12 months until that is possible, but probably probably longer. And there may be some longer term changes anyway. I mean, people have seen a different way of doing things. And I think the benefit out of that will be that people feel like they don't have to travel as much. Um, or they're more, I don't think it'll stop people traveling, but I think people will be a bit more selective about where and when they travel. So I think there will still be a demand for virtual events moving forward. What we're experimenting with is there's a complete saturation of webinars where information is being thrown at you and it's a very one-way experience. And in my mind, yeah. if I attend, you know, quote unquote event that feels like I'm just watching a YouTube video, then what's yeah. the point? You know, it's not an event. It's 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 watching TV, and so I think that's where the opportunity is. We've been experimenting with technology and platforms that create interactive experiences and recreate. I mean, most people go to conferences to meet other participants, even more so than um, 
digesting the information on the stage. I mean, I definitely have been to conferences before where I've not been into the uh, presentation hall at all. I've been in yeah. the hallway talking to yeah. people and having meetings. And so that's what we need to create. And I think that's what's not being done very well now. We're actually, it'll, this will be an open event, but we're, we're planning a Christmas party in December to okay. showcase some of this technology. And again, by framing it as a Christmas party, this is not going to be a webinar. It's going to be an opportunity just to meet people. You can sit in the kitchen and have a drink if you want and um, just have that more interactive experience. But the technology is changing very quickly. Um, there's stuff available now that just wasn't three months ago, but also people's expectations are changing very quickly. So what our job is right now is just to try and keep up with that. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I, I would, sympathize and agree with you that definitely uh, over the last nine months some of the events uh, I felt haven't been great they have been like you say almost like watching telly and mm -hmm. then there's been some others uh, we've done a virtual beer tasting and a, a pub quiz where with both of them uh, they sent beer snacks and food and stuff mm -hmm. as well and a food voucher so that therefore uh, it was more than just looking at a screen and I think people are thinking about that one and working out how do we improve so yeah I think it's a it's it's a fluid space um ov overall obviously the your goal is to deal with uh, climate change uh, and to help islands to come up with more sustainable strategies um we're, we're reviewing a lot of books that are talking about the the capitalism needs to, to to reformulate how it does business and that there is the potential for business to help drive sustainability at the same time prior to the pandemic by the end of 2019 there was a growing awareness that climate change was a very serious issue that needs to be dealt with now and for example Vanuatu and others you know could just mm -hmm. disappear otherwise so so you know like the events are good we're doing stuff but but how do you feel we're progressing in terms of actually dealing with the this the serious issues of climate change well, I mean, an unfortunate reality is this year that climate change has kind of been a forgotten conversation um, mm -hmm. that, that because of the pandemic, and that's, that's kind of to be expected on some level. Um, I think, I mean, I, I will say that we are not just a platform about climate change. Often people look at the work that we're doing, make that jump, uh, jump to just climate change. And so okay. I, I want to be clear that we try and kind of cover the whole range of island issues. Like, yes, climate change is a very important one. But so are things like providing healthcare and education to islanders and people who live on islands. So yep. um, I think you have to, uh, often when you're far away from an island community and people think about, say, the Pacific Islands, the first conversation that people in Europe will jump to when thinking about the Pacific would be climate change. But actually, the people living on those islands, just like everyone else, they care about education for their kids, access to healthcare, other government services transportation etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah you, i think yeah. you know we're really important about seeing all of these things in context and climate change is, is definitely part of that puzzle and so i think the biggest issue facing islanders this year is um the this huge economic um gap that's happened i mean the caribbean particularly is the most tourism dependent region in the world and within the caribbean aruba is um 90 of their economy pre-pandemic came from tourism yeah, so you have very much so yeah an island that was considered quite wealthy for the latin american and caribbean region but they, their economy collapsed over overnight and has not recovered yet so um you know people in aruba are not necessarily thinking about uh about climate change they're thinking um 
well, how you know how, how do we get out of this 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 mess uh, today? And so obviously that affects some islands more than others, but most islands uh, or many islands have some level of uh, importance on the tourism industry, and that is that 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 is going to fundamentally change. I think what's interesting with this remote work kind of transition that's happening is what benefits will that make for island communities? There's been a lot of talk about attracting digital nomads to be long-term tourists in the islands. But the bigger opportunity for me is, well, what about providing better jobs and more job opportunities for people who live on islands? You may be yeah. allowing people who were born on an island that felt like they had to leave to get a job opportunity, the opportunity to stay and work remotely. So this decentralization of work, if, you know, if that's what it is, uh, is going to change a lot of things and is going to hopefully benefit islands over urban areas in the long term. Look, I, I think you're right. And, and in Ireland, for example, there's a whole initiative to create digital hubs on rural and remote places, including islands. And uh, I think Inishman's one is finished and there are others. I think there are 27 specifically for rural and remote areas of which islands are of a number of them and like Aaron Moore and others and I, I think it does because it flips the conversation whereas the older generation will talk about jobs and farming and fishing whereas the reality mm -hmm. is, is if you can have good connectivity then you could have not just digital nomads but families live on islands and and repopulate so uh, I think it's I think it's a smart way to go and and I just would love to see it get rolled out even faster so I, I would agree with you. I think there's one one word of caution to be had, um, which you know was raised to me by some people in the in the Outer Hebrides. Um, uh -huh. You know, all change creates pros and cons, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of opportunity there. What they're really worried about is a sudden influx of people from uh, the lowlands, from England, moving out to the to the outer islands and driving up house prices at the expense of of locals. Um, so there are the, the the change needs management and um, we shouldn't stop change because of these negatives, but issues like that could really impact uh, local people. So you know, th these things need to be aware of. And I think the housing uh, housing issue and, and driving up of house prices in some cases could affect uh, quite a few islands. Look, you're right. And, and again, to bring the Irish example in, uh, the issue at the moment is housing because a third to a half of the houses on many of the islands are owned by people that don't live on the island. Mm -hmm. So I think it's almost that that that's already the problem. And, and the challenge is, is to get those people who, who who keep the house because the grandparents live there, but they're not they, they don't want to live there themselves, but they're not emotionally ready to let go of it mm -hmm. does mean that. You, you look at the houses and you can name occupied, not occupied, comes back for a week every year. Um, and I think it's a massive challenge. I mean, and I know in Denmark, uh, in some areas, you can only buy a house if you live there and mm -hmm. things like that would really help. Um, so look, um, I guess and my next question, I only have a couple left, is um, where, where do you get your sources of information and inspiration from? How do you remain up to date and relevant with, with things that can help to advance the, the, the narrative you're trying to communicate? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if I've even thought about that exactly. Okay. Um, I mean, I do read a lot. I um, I am constantly reading and um, I'm kind of trying to know about what is happening in different places and learn from um, from other people. And a big part of what we're doing at Island Innovation requires me to know what is happening in many different places, at mm -hmm. least on the uh, 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 on the high level. Um, but I think we also uh, to try and make sure that we do have this local connection. We also um, 
launched an ambassadors program. So we have our Island Innovation Ambassadors who have applied to take part. We, this is at the front of my mind because I was just running an information session on this right before this interview. Okay. And um, we that that is a really exciting channel for us to have representatives on local islands to make sure that we are not we're, we're having this very high level global conversation, but that we can actually connect that to the realities of people living on very specific local areas. And so we're trying to kind of find that balance between being very, very global, but also very local at, at, at the same time. So, um, you know, it does require us to know trends and, and these overall patterns that we see in different places. But um, yeah, it's a balancing act with that. Okay, uh, one and a half questions left, right? So um, in a lot of the events, you have a lot of um, people from the Caribbean, which is a very interesting point of reference. And to me, your accent sounds a bit Scottish and a bit Caribbean. Uh, is that a fair observation or is it? <laughs> I'm not sure, maybe everyone tells me something different. I mean, it's funny, I grew up on a farm in Shropshire. Um, I uh, then went to the un to, to uni in the US. So I think what you're hearing is uh, kind of West Midlands, North of England, uh, Borders accent meets the deep south of the US um, and got a bit messed up. But then, yeah, I'm not sure about Caribbean, but I'm, I'm even these days, I mean, I'm living in Portugal right now. I'm on uh -huh. Zoom calls with different people all over the world every day. So it, it, it's a bit temperamental, my accent. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that, I just thought I'd throw that one at you. Um, so look, it's it's a pleasure to talk to you. How can people find out more about what you do and what's coming up for you guys? Definitely. So we'd really encourage you to go to islandinnovation.co um, to see our program, sign up to our, our weekly newsletter and check, out, check that out for upcoming events. We will be having um, our big event is the Virtual Island Summit happening in September next year. But we'll mm -hmm. also be having an island finance forum specifically looking at at uh, the big the big thing is how do you pay for all these projects so that's the question that we're trying to solve with that in in april and we'll have various other webinars and smaller programs throughout the year so yeah islandinnovation.co or follow us on twitter islands innovate um and would encourage you to uh, anyone listening to participate and uh join in any of our future events they're all free they're all open um and uh even if you don't live on an island if you're interested um on some level you're welcome to attend awesome so thanks very much and uh we'll we'll keep uh communicating and showing people what events you you guys are working on thanks so much simon really appreciate your support cheers we hope you enjoyed that podcast and we will be bringing you more across as diverse and interesting a range of stories as we can find. You're welcome to reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn or by email and give us any feedback and let us know what you'd like us to cover in the future. Thanks and keep listening.